Good morning. Thank you for being here on a cold and wet day and, and being inside. I'm grateful for heat. I'm grateful for a roof that doesn't leak. And it's awesome to look out and see each one of you this morning and be able to be a part of worship with you. Before we get into the Word, I'd like for us to bow our heads and pray. Um, because the Scripture says that when we seek Him, we find Him. And that if we lack and we ask, that He is free to give to us. So, Father, this morning we come to you, we ask you to give us what we cannot give to ourselves. That is wisdom, that's understanding, that's the ability to apply. Lord, even the interpretation of your word is, um, is a gift. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room. We ask you to move among us, to move in us, to be our interpreter, our communicator, our courage, our hope our strength, and God, in the moments where we have to confront our lives or the difficult things in our lives, we ask you to be our very present help. In Jesus' name, amen. We have begun what is just a, a few week series that we're calling God, Our Help. We're going to be looking at how God, our help, meets our deepest needs, where he steps into our lives, he speaks to us. He addresses what we're going through so that we can be what the scripture really says we're called to be, and that's overcomers more than conquerors. Last week, we looked at the name of God, Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah says, God is there. No matter where I am, what I've done, what I'm going through, what's been done to me, what tomorrow holds that I don't yet know about, or anything, you name it, period, God is there. You have not ever been left alone. You have not ever been forsaken. And God says, I will walk beside you. Oh, pastor, you don't know what I've done. God says, I am there. Oh, pastor, you don't know what's been done to me. God says, I am there. Oh, pastor, we don't know about tomorrow. I, we don't, but we know that God is already there. You see, he is God past, God present, God future. He is omnipresent God, and he is in your life by choice because he loves you and we can rest in that today well today we're going to look at another need that God meets one of our other deepest needs it's the need for healing if you'll take your Bibles or look on your outline with me you'll see Exodus chapter 15 verse 26 and it says and I'll start just a little bit above to get the whole and complete sentence he says Therefore he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. Now I want to tell you how he tested them. We are very short into the wilderness journey. We're very new from being removed from Egypt. And the children of Israel are marching in the wilderness. For three days they have not found or had water. The scripture says that they began to grumble and complain. And they began to murmur. Remember, that's the automatopoeia, the way, way you say it. It says that um, it communicates what it is. So let's go ahead and practice right now. Let's murmur. Murmur, 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 murmur. That's what they're doing. God is doing something. They don't like it. And they are wanting to express their displeasure with God. And so three days in, that's where they are. And he said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God... And you do what is right in his sight, 
give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on which on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now I love it when God gives us a command and then God gives us an illustration. Because if you went just back up a few verses, you would find out that on that third day he took them to a body of water. Three days without water. They're thirsty. They want something to drink. And you can imagine, they dive down on all fours. They began to scoop up some water. And it is bitter water. And they're like, God, what are you up to? You told us you would meet our needs. You told us you would provide. You put water in front of us and we can't even drink it because it's bitter. And Moses did what a wonderful leader does. It says he called on the Lord. He began to pray. And God said, hey Moses, look over there. There's a stick on the ground. Pick up the stick and throw it in the water. And sure enough, it says that he did it. And when he threw it into the water, the water became sweet. It became able to quench their thirst. Now this is an illustration. This is an illustration for us that God is always there. It's an illustration for us that no matter what we face, no matter how bitter it is, that God can step in and make it sweet. But sometimes he's got us throw a stick in the water to get us there. So today we want to talk about Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha, I am the God who heals. In Psalm 147 verse 3 it says to us, God heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up his womb. We know today I want to talk to you about God as healer, but not God as healer of the physical, but God as healer of the emotional. As God is the one who can step in and identify and heal our hidden wounds. Now, I will tell you, I've done this for a while, and I have lived life for a while, and there's some things that I understand. Everybody has a hidden wound. Everybody has an emotional scar, a past hurt. Everybody has that conversation, that break, that, that thing, that critical word, or that failing, or that sin, or something in your life. You have a hidden wound. Another observation about hidden wounds is hidden wounds can take longer to heal than physical wounds and they can be more damaging and here's the third thing and this is the hope that no matter what your hidden wound is Jesus wants to step in and heal it for you when you look at the life of Jesus you see that Jesus healed a lot of people physically emotionally spiritually and I believe from scripture that we can draw out some certain patterns in, our, in his teaching that we can apply to our lives. Now, you're not going to go into Scripture and find the one, two, three, four, five in a succinct list. It's not there exactly like that. You're going to have to dig, and he won't use all the elements every time. But I believe that we can go into the Word, that we can find pieces and parts of what God does, and we can say, when we face a hidden wound, when we face an emotional hurt, that there are principles from Scripture that we can draw on, that we can begin to apply to our lives that will enable us to be overcomers. The first thing that you have to remember when you want to be healed from a hidden wound, the first thing that you have to go through 
is that you have to remember what we studied last week. God is always there. No matter where you are, as a child of God, you have not been hidden from God's presence. In fact, remember we saw it last week when the scripture said, Wherever I go, you are there. When I went into the valley, you were there. When I was here and this and that and all of that was going on, God is there. Remember that this morning. No matter where you are, no matter what you face, no matter what you've done, who you've hurt, how you've been hurt, God is there. Now, why is that critical? Because God is not just sitting in the room going, boo, hiss, you stink, you messed up, or um, stinks to be you because that happened in your life. God's not just in the room. God is in the room and actively engaged. He is in the room and, actually, act, and actively engaged as the healer who is the forgiver of sin, who is the healer of hurts. He is ready to step into your life right there and say, I am here with you, I am here for you, but more than that, I have already done what is necessary to get you to where I want you to be. You have to remember God is there. Because listen, Satan wants you to believe God's not there. Satan wants you to believe God doesn't care. Satan wants you to believe that God doesn't have the power. You know, it's easy to look across the room from over here to over there and say, man, you know, I bet God could work in Dee's life because God loves Dee. But I don't know if he loves me exactly that way. I know he wants to work in somebody else's life, but does he really want to work in my life? And the scripture says that God is there. It says he's there, and at the appointed time he loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to do and to fix and repair what the first Adam messed up. And to bind up and heal the brokenhearted. So when we want to go through the process of being healed from the hidden wound. The first thing we do is we remember God's there. In fact we saw it at Ezekiel 48.35. The Lord is there. The next thing you have to do if you want to be healed from the hidden wound. Is you have to acknowledge your hurt. You're never going to get well until you face your feelings straight on. The Bible talks about don't stuff it. The Bible talks about don't hide it. In fact, in Psalm, in Psalm 39, 1 through 3, David said, I kept very quiet, but I can't, became even more upset. I became very angry inside, and as I thought about it, my anger burned. You know what I'm talking about? That person that cut you off at the red light made you spill your breakfast burrito all in the floor and all day long every time you think about it you just begin to seethe and to burn now that's a very simple thing but you can't let it go David said don't stuff it bring it out <laughs> man when that person did that that irritated me it made me angry and you could go on in your life he says but I kept very quiet and I became upset Holding on to hurts is like carrying hot coals in your heart. You're the one who's going to get burned. You see, that person that made me spill my breakfast burrito, they don't even know I got egg all in my lap. They're all through their day going, man, I got them. I got through that red light. They slammed on brakes. We didn't hit. Life is good. You're holding on. You're, it's there. They keep carrying on. He says, acknowledge. 
In fact, David wrote again in Psalm 32, 3, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He's saying it's emotionally draining to hide it. Now listen to me. I didn't say get a megaphone and shout it out to everybody. I didn't say be a gossip. I didn't say run around and tear down someone. What I said was acknowledge the fact that there's hurt in your life. Acknowledge it that it's there. Put it in your mind. Know that it's there. But listen to me. Let's go look. And you see, because we live in a sinful world, people hurt other people. We hurt other people emotionally. We hurt other people spiritually. We hurt other people physically. In fact, I would begin to, to say that with certainty that there are people in this room who in this room today who have faced physical, sexual, emotional, financial, relational abuse. And we respond to it different ways. David said when he hid his, that he got angry. David said when he hid his, that he became emotionally drained. So what are some of the ways that we try to deal with our hidden wounds so that People don't catch on or we try just to hide them, stuff them. Some people try to respond to abuse by forgetting it. I'll just put it out of my sight. I'll put it out of my mind. There's nowhere in scripture that that says it heals. Other people will try to run from it. There are many ways to escape. Substance, spending, sex, virtual reality, living vicariously through other people. There's a lot of ways to run. Other people try to ignore it. It's not there. And some, because of the guilt that they feel, they feel like they caused this. I was abused. If I had only been good enough, mama would not have done this. If I had only acted better, daddy would not have done this. If I had been more this or that, my spouse would not have left me or hurt me or abused me. We begin to feel guilty about things. And because we begin to feel guilty about them, we try to hide them. We try to mask them. We, we look for ways to... To say, I'm okay, what's wrong with you? And that's what happens in life. But I want to tell you, again, from Scripture, none of these things work. To be honest about your pain, your fear, your anger, your resentment, your bitterness over what people did to you, about the way you felt when you were abandoned, abused, ridiculed, the shame that you felt, you've got to start by acknowledging, yes, this hurt. Yes, Lord, I feel afraid. You Hear me, and I've said this to you many times. God is big enough for you to be brutally honest with Him. You can vent with Him today, wide open, no holding back. You can have the conversation with Him. You can tell Him how you feel. You can express the anger. You can express the frustration. But it begins with being honest about the moment. Honest with who? I'm not sure I can tell you exactly who. I can't look at everybody in this room and say, you need to be honest here, there, and yonder. But I do believe, again, from Scripture, there's a way that we can pull out who we need to be honest with. The first thing you need to do is be honest with yourself. God, I am holding back from loving you because the last time I didn't hold back, I got hurt, and I don't want to be hurt again. You're honest with yourself. You're honest with yourself and you say, God, this is what happened in my life. This hurts. I'm ashamed. I can't shake it. The second place that you need to go and be honest is with God. You say, well, why not God first? 
Because until you recognize that there's a problem, you don't realize you need to take it to God. You've got to look at it first and say, this is there. I may be justified. I may not be justified. It may be the big thing. It may be the small thing. But it's your thing. And if it's standing in between you and God, you need to admit it. God, this is a factor. Now, you admit it. You take it to God. And you say, God, I'm hurting. He said, well, I'll tell you what. I died to heal the brokenhearted. I died to, by my stripes, you are healed. He says, I'm here for you. I want to be Jehovah Rapha. I want to be the one that heals you. I want to be the one that steps into your life right where you are, right when you are, so that I can take care of it. And it's okay. It's not weakness to cry out to God. It is absolutely strength to cry out to God and say, God, help me. So I admit it to myself. I admit it to God. And then I think when God, when you've done those two things, and God gives you clear path and assurance, then you find another person. Sometimes that's a professional counselor. Sometimes it's a minister. Pastor Russell is available anytime you want to call him. <laughs> you just buzz his phone. I'll give you the number before we leave. No, But for real, listen to me. It's another person. It's a friend. It's a confidant. It's a spouse. It's a, it's a trained counselor. I will tell you this. This is one of the things that I have learned in ministry. When we become the counselor, people come and they pour life out to us. Then they feel embarrassed about what they said. And then it affects the pastor-church member relationship. We have to be very careful there. A lot of times we recommend people going to a trained counselor, somebody that you don't interact with on a regular basis, somebody that knows how to do it, been trained to do it, called by God to do it. By the way, make sure... That they are a Christian who counsels. Not a, just a Christian counselor. Okay. Make sure that they are born again. Vibrant. Walking with God. Believer. That wants to step into your life. Will open up the word of God. And say in the word of God. This is where healing comes from. And so we begin to look for that other person. That other person again. Is not the, necessarily the first step. Maybe a lengthy step. Maybe a journey that you have to walk through, but you begin it with, I have an issue. God, I'm telling you this. Now, you guide me to that place. Because listen, sometimes you don't have to get all the way to the counselor. There are times that you can get alone with God and an interacting Holy Spirit. He will step into your life and begin to speak to you through His Word. I will tell you that Bible study is a place where you can begin to be healed by God I'm amazed at the number of texts I've gotten this week from ladies that said I can't wait for Wednesday night because what happened on Wednesday night was awesome what this was good and this is what God did in my life in fact the only request we've gotten from ladies that attended Bible study Wednesday night was would you buy more tissues so I don't know what all I don't know if y'all had a cold or a tearful moment but it was, we need some more tissues in the room. So we're going to take care of that. So um, another person. So what, where, where are we at this point? We remember God is always there. We acknowledge that there's hurt in our lives. We forgive those who have hurt you. Now listen to me before you react on me. Let's understand what forgiveness is. And let's understand what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not instantaneous reconciliation without repentance. 
Forgiveness may or may not involve interaction with the other person. Forgiveness is an action between you and God in obedience to a command that He has placed on your life. He says, forgive and it will be forgiven. Forgive those who have hurt you. God says to do this. But forgiveness is not acting like nothing ever happened. I did not, accept, I did not say ignore caution. Because there will be times in your life when you're going through the healing from hidden wounds that you will absolutely have to draw boundaries in your life. You will have to put up safeguards between you and the person that hurt you. You will have to uh, examine relationships. Again, reconciliation is not the same thing as forgiveness. Reconciliation is a gift that comes on the backside of repentance and may or may not happen in your life. Reconciliation comes... When the person who has offended, person or persons who has offended, comes to you and through repentance says, in a change of behavior, I want to enter back into a relationship with you. And here's what I'm going to do to prove that. That is reconciliation. Forgiveness is releasing from a debt. And you say, well, why is it important to forgive? Because forgiveness is about you and God. Forgiveness is about you turning the thermostat down on what is festering and causing the anger to burn inside of you. It's about going to God and saying, God, what was done to me was wrong. What was done to me was hurtful. What was done to me has caused this in my life. But you are greater than that. And because you have commanded it, I trust you. It's the releasing of a debt. Truth. Getting even will not take away your pain. Some of you have tried that. You've been able to get back at the person you hurt you. That hurt you. It didn't solve the problem. You still feel the pain. There's only one way to get rid of the pain and the hurt in your heart. And that's forgiveness. You say, but they don't deserve to be forgiven. You may absolutely be right. They don't deserve to be forgiven. I didn't say they did. I'm saying to forgive them not because they deserve it. I'm saying them to forget. I'm saying to forgive them because God said to forgive them, and I'm saying to forgive them before your sake, because it's a commandment from Scripture. I release you from this. Romans 12, 17 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Is If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. You see, at that moment that I want to get even, at that moment that I want to take revenge, at that moment that I want to go tit for tat with them, and God says, I don't want you to take that route. I want you to um, forgive and let vengeance be mine. Now you see, it's not really as much of an issue of forgiveness as it is an issue of trust. God, I trust you to avenge me. You say, well, how does that coincide with boundaries and walls? They do not conflict each other at all. Because again, the forgiveness is not between you and the person. The forgiveness is a transaction between you and God. It's you trusting God to say, I, you will do what you said you will do. I believe you will do it. Again, in forgiveness, you may still need boundaries. 
You may still need those borders. You may still need those safeguards in your life to protect you and loved ones and other things that are going on. That is okay. And then that's where in that process that other person steps in, that trained person, that confidant, that friend that knows you well enough to have communication, then they begin to help you say, when do we put this or that into the process of life? Psalm 56, 8 says, God, you God, have kept a record of all of my tears. Now, you know what? For some of us, he may have just a vial. But for others of us, he may have a tanker truck. He may need that to catch those tears. But he said, I don't care how many you've cried, if you've cried tears, I kept them. Now, what does that mean? If he knows every tear, he knows every hurt. If he knows every hurt, he says, I will avenge you. I will settle the score for you. I will take care of you. I will look after you. In your life. He's going to settle the score one day. He's a God of justice. Nothing has slipped his watchful eye. What's another reason we don't forgive? I have to remember this. Because if I forget it, they're going to get away with it. If I forget it. If I forgive it, they got away. God says they don't get away. I'm the God who loves you. I'm the God that left heaven to come to earth to step into your life, to fill you with my Holy Spirit. I am the God who walks with you, who will never leave you, and I won't forsake you. And I'm telling you, they will not get away with it. And I can trust God for that. You see... Forgiveness, again, is not the transaction between you and the offended. Forgiveness is the transaction between you and God. This says, God, you are enough. You've got me. You hold me with your righteous right hand. You are catching my tears in a bottle. You don't leave me. You tell me that if you leave, you're coming back to receive me to yourself. And I will be with you for all of eternity. And I will be healed why should I forgive those who've hurt me God's forgiven me and God says it's my key to healing now again let me go back and tell you this very very clearly reconciliation and forgiveness are not twins Reconciliation is an act that follows repentance by the offender. And it is okay to have boundaries. It is okay to have safeguards so that you can move forward in life. All right? So he says, remember that I am always there. He teaches us from Scripture to acknowledge our hurt. He teaches us from Scripture to forgive those who have hurt us. And he also teaches us to rely on God's truth and walk away from old lies. Your brain is a storage compartment. It stores everything that's happened to you in your life. It's there. 
It's got the good times. It's got the bad times. It's got the happies. It's got the sads. It's got the hurts. It's got the heels. You name it, it's there. It's recorded every single experience that your five senses have encountered. It's a recorder. It's got it all down. Some of you are still operating. Some of us, we, operate on faulty data. When you base your life on faulty data, then what happens is a self-defeating lifestyle. You set yourself up for failure, pain, and hurt. Some of you, when you were kids, some of us, I, we, you name it, if we're in this room, life happens. We were told that we were dumb. We were told that we were uncoordinated. We were told that we weren't pretty. We were told that we couldn't do this and we were that and, and you name it. And it's easy for that. See, Satan wants to bring that up. He wants to keep it in front of you because if he can cause you to believe and remember the lie, then he's pushing out the truth. And the lie becomes the prevalent. The lie becomes the thing. And so we don't step up, step out, trust God, and begin to do something because the second that we choose to do that, we hear you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not this enough. And you're not that. And you're something else. And oh, and even if you could, somebody else has got more of it and they're better at it. So you just sit back. Faulty data. Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. What's the pattern of the world? Keep you down. What's the pattern of the world? To hold you back. What's the pattern of the world? Because who's the prince of the world? The scripture says Satan is. He wants you to believe everything and anything but the good thing that God says that you are. He says, you're not. You can't. He says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do you do that? You see, I don't know that you can practice enough to do that. I don't know that you can self-will enough or self-hope enough to do that. I honestly believe it's when it says, do not conform but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I believe we start in a spot there where we say, God, heal my memories. God, heal my mind. God, let me hear the truth of you. God, show me in your word where truth is. God, show me in your word how I can walk out of this. God, what did you say about me? Satan's already made his closing argument, if you will. He's condemned you. But God says, hold on. That's not the rest of the story. Let me finish. Let me tell you who you are in me. Let me tell you what I've done for you. We pray, we ask God to heal our memories. We fill our mind with the truth of God's word. Midweek Bible study, personal quiet time, life groups, sermons, podcasts, going down the road, playing the scripture. You name it. You put the truth in your mind because it's only when you put truth is the lie defeated. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. Please listen to me. When you're singing in worship, you're putting in truth. When you're listening to the scripture, you're putting in truth. When you're in a life group talking with other people about what God has done in their life, you are putting in truth. Make sure that you're putting in truth because truth is what defeats the lie. 
I can't overcome. That's a lie. Because Jesus said, with me in you, you can overcome it all. Now, we all believe the lie sometimes. We all have moments where the lie prevails. But remember we said that mercy is new last week. We said his mercy is new every morning. And that's not just a get out of jail free card. But it's the opportunity to wake up the next morning and say, Yesterday, God, I put my will over your will. I put my way over your way. I put my purpose over your purpose. And today, God, with, with you working on healing my memories and on you working on telling me who I am in Christ, God, today, today, that mercy that's new, today, God, I want to stand up and live it for you. So we fill our mind with truth. We began to act on the truth. What's the truth? Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose you in him before the foundation of the world. Now listen to me. This is work. Hear me well. It is easier to wake up tomorrow and scratch the fleas because you've been scratching fleas a long time. All right, It's just a natural, it becomes part of who we are. We got to go against the grain. It's easier to swim downriver than upriver. And God says, I want you to swim upriver. I want you to go against what the world says. And I want you to be transformed. I want you to be strengthened. I want you to be made strong. And it's going to take new habits, new beliefs, new behaviors. It's going to take confrontation. It's going to take forgiveness. It's going to take reconciliation. It's going to take dusting yourself off when you've fallen down and you get back up, but you don't quit because perseverance produces faith and hope. You keep on. When you blow it, you say, I'm sorry. We began to act on the truth. So really the question comes down to, who are you going to believe? What are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the lie that somebody told you about yourself? Or are you going to stand up and believe what God says about you? So where, God, where does God have us? Remember, God, I am always here. Remember, acknowledge your hurt. Remember to forgive those who have hurt you. Rely on my truth. Walk away from the old lies. And then what he tells us is focus on the future. In Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Brothers and sisters, Paul said, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. What's behind in Paul's life? Murderer, hater, uh, deceived about God. He says, forgetting what's behind. I had an encounter with Christ on the Damascus Road. In my encounter with Christ, I was made new. In my encounter with Christ, I was a new creature. In that encounter, forgetting what lies behind, and any lie that Satan would tell me about that, forgetting what's back there, I take that moment, that Damascus Road moment, and I press on to become what God has meant and called me to be. In other words, I want to live the truth of what God says I am. He says, forgetting what lies behind. I'm straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God is called to be heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul is not telling us to forget. Paul is not telling us to act like nothing ever happened. He is telling us to readjust our gaze. He's telling us to quit looking 
here at the lies. And he's telling us to start looking here, which is the truth. The author of your hope, the finisher of your hope, the giver of life. He says, look there. Paul is saying to us, don't let what was done to you define you. Let what Christ has done in you define you. Job, you know his story, right? Had a pretty good life. Satan asked for permission to, to, to test him. God said, you can do everything but this. And Job lost a lot of things. In fact, even Job's friends said, dude, just go ahead and curse God and die. Job said, I can't do that. Job says, I got to press on. Job says, I got to carry forward. In fact, in Job chapter 11, 13 through 16, he, um, this is what it says. Yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then free of thought, you will lift up your face, you will stand firm and will without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as waters gone by. What did Job give us in this testimony? Job said, devote your heart to God. Remember, God's always there. You can do that. Job said to us to ask God for help. Help! God, this is how I am. This is what's going on. Job says to us, lift up your head. Job says to us, in lifting up your head, acknowledge that God is truth. Acknowledge that we need to repent from sin. Acknowledge that we need to follow God's ways. He says, if you will do that, then you will enjoy my healing. This does not come without pain. This does not come without discipline. This does not come without work. This is work. It is hard, but it is worth it. Because he said, if you will go through the process, you will forget your trouble, recalling it only as water's gone by. Ladies and gentlemen, that's God's heart for us today. He says, devote your heart, ask for help, lift your head, enjoy God's healing. In fact, I think I, think I have a really cool story that I'm going to ask you to um, give your attention to the screens. And in this testimony, I believe then we can finish out the last point. Okay, so watch with me. So I was always told that God doesn't make mistakes. And, you know, God must have known that I would need to hear that deep within my soul on my darkest days. This isn't a celebration or a story of what Satan did. It's a celebration of what God's still doing. As long as I can remember, I was physically, emotionally, and sexually abused by the people who were supposed to love and care for me the most. Foster care, that was definitely an experience I won't forget, as most of the places I was in was worse than what DFAX was trying to protect me from. I found myself going from someone who loved school and people to someone who skipped school, who lied, who started stealing things and got into a lot of fights. I found myself trying to do anything I could just to fit in and find someone that would love me for me. The only problem was, that wasn't me. So at 15, my biological mother signed over custody papers to a couple she had never met. I only met them once or twice through a church I was visiting and found out they were doing foster care classes to become foster parents. I knew that if I couldn't 
convince them to take me in. I would kill myself the next time I went into foster care, which would probably happen very soon. Thankfully, they took me in. They agreed. They encouraged me and my biological mother to do therapy because their goal was to reunite us, not to keep me forever. But that wasn't part of the plan, and, and it didn't work out. So eventually, we went to court, and they took custody of me. They got legal custody, and we changed my name. They were very involved in church, and they were very involved in motorcycle ministries, which allowed me to become very involved in church. I even walked the aisle. I was part of the youth praise team. I was on the youth dance team. We were very involved in the ministries. We looked like we had it all together. I was finally fitting in, but I still felt empty. So one year, we went to Gatlinburg as a youth group to Winter Jam, and Tony Nolan, a youth pastor that speaks at these events, was speaking. The Lord spoke to me, and this time, I for real went down and accepted Christ as my Savior. While I was praying, Tony was on stage tearfully singing, Jesus Loves Me. I'd heard that song so many times, but after that night, it was never the same. Jesus loves me. Me. The one who stole, the one who got into fights, the one who thought that love was just a word, the one who would not let people get close to me because, after all, the people that were supposed to love me the most didn't. They hurt me. So I went back. I went to the youth group. I apologized for leading them to believe I was a Christian when I wasn't. Fast forward after high school graduation. Things change when you graduate high school, and during this time, I was struggling. I was struggling to understand who I was, and I was struggling to understand what love was. I know, right? Even though the Lord spoke to me a couple years ago. I kept hearing those whispers. The only way any man will love you is to give him all of you. The only way that anyone will ever notice you is to do what they want, no matter what. So, I knowingly became the other woman. Not something I'm proud of, but it happened. And when that blew up in my face, shocker, I listened to the lies of another man. And I, yet again, lost more than just a piece of my heart. After some very difficult, heartbreaking years, I finally hit rock bottom. I had had multiple thoughts of suicide and an attempt or two. I came across this verse, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That verse hit me to my core, and there that statement welled back up in me. God does not make mistakes. So after all of that that I had been through, I decided, hey, let's go on a dating site. I came across a guy. We talked. We went on a date or two. Then we moved in with each other. We lived with each other for three years before we got married. He didn't read much of a book, much less the Bible, and we did not attend church. But I longed, deep inside, I longed for worship. I longed for fellowship. I longed to go back to church. So we visited a church. Didn't go very well. So I gave up. Then we had a huge hailstorm. We placed a claim through insurance for our roof. We had a friend that had a friend that did roof repair. We called, got an estimate. We were drunk. And a church van pulls up in our driveway. It was Chris. And 
We went ahead. He did the estimate. He acted like there was nothing wrong. I was surprised because when I realized he was a pastor, all of those past mistakes came up and those whispers came that said, God possibly cannot love you. Look at what you've done. Fast forward. He came back. He came back with a youth pastor. We were drunk again, and there was some really bad music playing. They acted like it was nothing. I had never been accepted like that. Looking back, they have never treated us any differently than they do anyone else that they've come in contact with. They acted like we were just normal people. After that, we visited the church. We joined. I recommitted my life. Mike recommitted his and got baptized. And now we teach Sunday school classes. We have a growing faith that God will take care of us and that he loves us regardless. And I've learned during this time that the closer we get to the Lord, the stronger the attacks will be from Satan. He knows which buttons to push. He's even used my own family against me as an attack. But my God, my God, he's a God of restoration. He's restored multiple relationships in different parts of my family that are still a work in progress. He's shown me over and over that his love is never ending and is unconditional. I look back on my past and I could question. I could ask him why. I could use it as an excuse for my behaviors, but I don't. I refuse to. All of that stuff that I went through in my past and that I currently struggle with at times, my circumstances, they made me a person of passion. And when I love someone, I do it fiercely. And when I commit to something, I do it. I stand up for what's right and I speak for those who can't because I was there. Without those circumstances and things happening, Mike and I would have never met. We would have never had Levi and we would have never been at this church. God sees the whole picture. We see half of a fraction of it. All I can do is trust. Trust that he will never leave me. Trust that his love never ends. And trust that he will carry me when I can't walk. It's always there. He asks us to acknowledge our hurt, to forgive those who's hurt us, who have hurt us, rely on his truth, walk away from the lies, focus on the future, and we reach out to help others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word where it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those who also suffer. God, I thank you that it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter where we've been. It doesn't matter the scar. It doesn't matter the sin. It doesn't matter how we fell somewhere along the way. But God, if we will apply the truth and appropriate the blood of Christ, that there's healing for life today. God, I thank you that you can heal broken hearts. I thank you that you convict us of sin and call us to repentance. God, I thank you that you can... healed us 
Thank you. Father, I pray for every person in this room. I pray for each one of us. God, that we would let Jehovah Rapha step into our lives today. Be our healer. Make our bitter sweet. This morning I invite you to come. TJ and Pastor Russell and I, others, will be here ready to receive you, ready to pray with you, ready to have conversation with you about the amazing love that God has for you. We can walk you through the steps of repentance. We can, t can talk to you about how to be involved in Bible study. This morning, we invite you to come to Christ as Savior. We invite you to return to Christ and say, I stepped away, but I'm ready to be back. We invite you and are ready to talk to you about how to become a member and a part of Mount Zion Baptist Church, about how to be in a family of believers and how to get involved in smaller groups. We invite you to come to the front and pray and just simply have your conversation with God. So Lord, as we have this time to respond, teach us how to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. As we sing, if we can assist, you come to us now.